or the other. Good to see you. Glad that uh, we can be together for a few minutes. Let me encourage you to go ahead and be opening your Bibles to uh, the book of Judges, maybe about Judges chapter 6. Be checking in with Gideon tonight. We have been considering various names for God over the last several Sunday nights, considering ways that uh, God has revealed himself to us, names used to describe God, who he is, what he's about, and how we are to, to think of him. Uh, we've seen some of the words, some of the descriptions that God gives of himself are encouraging. Uh, some of the descriptions God gives of himself are intimidating, that he is uh, one that is powerful and is always there. Uh, the word we will look at, the name of God tonight, is one that should be one of those that fits in the encouraging category. Um, we're going to talk about the concept of peace tonight. As we've been discussing, as we've been looking at 1 Corinthians, that the world is angry, the world's divided, and so we need unity. But part of the issue is in each individual heart, not just in, in countries, you know, with wars going on between countries. Uh, we need peace in individual hearts. We've got people right and left that just don't feel okay. There's not only just anxiousness, but there's despair and there's fear, and what we need is peace. And so we need a God of peace. And thankfully, if you look in Judges chapter 6, specifically verse 24, we see that God is known as the God of peace. Yahweh Shalom. Shalom is that, that word that we're going to really think about tonight. Shalom is a, a common uh, Jewish uh, greeting and Jewish term to use uh, when exiting. Uh, so you say it when you greet your brothers. You say it when you say goodbye to your brothers. Uh, I know that Many in this room have been watching The Chosen. You've probably heard the word shalom a lot. Because when they greet each other, shalom, shalom. When they say goodbye, shalom. And what you need to see is that just because the word is used a lot, we shouldn't let it become common or small or let it lose its power, lose its teeth, lose its strength. Because shalom is a word that is so important, so deep, so rich, so broad. It's so special and it's so important. And the kind of peace that's offered by God, the kind of shalom peace, the Yahweh of shalom, it's not just saying, well, I hope there's no fighting today. Well, I didn't get in a fight today, so that was a day of peace. Well, I didn't get screamed at, or I didn't scream at anyone, so that was a day of peace. Nope. We're talking about something much, much richer, much, much deeper than that. It's not just no violence. It's not just no hostility. It's not just being at a truce with someone. This kind of peace is about being whole. It's about being complete. You know, because I can be the kind of person that I, I go about the day and I'm, I'm smiling, interacting with people, and, and I didn't get in any fights, but I've still got a hole in my heart. Still got something missing from my life. And God is the one who feels that. He's the one that completes us and makes us whole. 
In fact, it's the kind of word that means this. The shalom means this. Free from guilt. That's taken right off your back. Satisfied with things. Content with the way things are. Satisfied with, with where you are because of who God is. Not satisfied because of what you've accomplished. Not satisfied because of what's in your bank account or the title that comes after your name or anything like that. But satisfied and content free of worry, free of guilt, because you know who God is. That's shalom. That's the God that we serve. And so there in Judges chapter 6, verse 24, whenever Gideon makes this statement, he makes his altar, and he says, he calls this altar because he's naming it after who God is and what God's about. Gideon builds an altar there to the Lord. He called it, the Lord is peace. Yahweh shalom. And to this day, it still stands at, at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizarites. Now, what I want you to do is go with me back to the beginning of Judges, or Judges chapter 6. I'm going to go back to the beginning of the Gideon account. And we're going to read several lines here together because I want you to see all the things that built up to him building this altar and making recognition of God being the God of peace. Because it doesn't start out joyfully it doesn't start out happily Gideon's account starts in a very dark place Judges 6 1 the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and so the Lord gave them into the hand of the Midianites and the hand of Midian for seven years the hand of Midian overpowered Israel and because of Midian the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds in other words they they literally had to head for the hills to try and be safe, looking for peace. Verse 3 says but the reason they ran into the caves, the reason they ran to the mountains is because whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them and they would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza. They'd leave no sustenance in Israel, no sheep or ox or donkey, they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels just couldn't even be counted. So they laid waste to the land as they came in and Israel was brought very low. They were afraid. They were destitute. They were whipped. So they were brought very low because of Midian and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, here's God's message. The Lord God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of all who oppressed you, drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell but you have not obeyed my voice. I gave you this, I told you what to do, and you didn't do it. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite. And while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites, even as he's preparing the food, he does it in secret doesn't want to do anything out in the open where the, the Midianites might see and come swoop in and take the last bite of grain that he's got. 
So he's hiding, making his food. Verse 12, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now let me pause right there. Before we read any response of Gideon, before we read one more thing from him, because you know the, the story, you know the account of Gideon. He doesn't see himself as, as powerful. He sees himself as the, the least in the least clan. The lowest on the totem pole in the lowest place. But notice what God says to him. This is the first point that I want us to make and think through. There in verse 12, the message from the Lord is, Greetings, you mighty man of valor. The Lord's with you. The presence of the Lord is what makes even the weakest among us a mighty warrior. We need to see ourselves as God sees us. Because what we'll see there is that there's a difference in the way that the Lord sees Gideon and the way that Gideon sees himself. Because when he said, the Lord's with you, you mighty man of valor, Gideon says, please, Lord, if the Lord's with us, then why has this happened to us? Where did all these wonderful deeds go that had been told to us about what the Lord did in Egypt? He says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Did I not send you? In verse 15, he says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. How can I do anything? I'm nobody. In fact, I'm less than nobody. I'm the smallest of all nobodies. How can I do anything? The Lord said, I'll be with you. And that's all that matters. I'll be with you, and you'll strike the Midians as one man. Midianites as one man. Now, let's go back to this in verse 12. Noting that it's the presence of the Lord that makes the mighty warrior, makes the weakest and the smallest tall and capable and enough. I'm reminded of what Caleb said in Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, when the 12 spies have been sent in, 10 come back saying we're too small, we're grasshoppers, they'll, they'll squash us. But in Numbers 13, 30, Caleb says, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome, not because we're great, not because we're strong, not because we're smart, but because we're with God. And with God, we are well able to overcome. With God, we are mighty warriors. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 at verse 10, Paul said, now when I'm weak, and we talked about this in Bible class a little bit this morning, 2 Corinthians 12, 10, when I'm weak, it's when I'm strong. What he means by that is this, when I'm weak, when I stop trying to save myself, when I stop trying to do it all by myself, when I start to finally rely upon the wisdom and the genius and the power of God, that's when I'm strong. When I finally realize that with the Lord, I'm a mighty warrior, that's when things change. That's the reason Paul could say in Philippians chapter 4, maybe flip in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, because in Philippians 4, about verse 11 beginning, he doesn't use the word peace here. He doesn't use the, the word shalom here, but he describes the very concept of shalom. In Philippians 4, verse 11, Paul's going to describe shalom. He's going to say this, whether I'm high or low, whether I'm starving or I'm totally full, or if I'm so rich or if I'm just so poor and destitute, 
No matter which one of those things, high, low, hungry, full, rich, poor, he says, no matter what my physical state may be, he says, I experience shalom. He says, I'm content. I'm absolutely content. Because, verse 13, Philippians 4, 13, because I know Jesus Christ. Christ is the one who strengthens me and allows me to be a conqueror, to be one who accomplishes what needs to be accomplished. I can do all things to the one who strengthens me. Not because I'm the, the top part of my clan, the strongest in my clan, but even if I'm the lowest and the weakest in my clan, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because it's Christ. Because the Lord has promised to never leave us or forsake us, Hebrews 13, 5. We can confidently say, Hebrews 13, 6, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what can man do to me. Knowing that God sees and knowing that God hears, knowing that God loves, offers us peace that surpasses understanding. He was hiding. Gideon was hiding in a wine press to prepare just a tiny little bit of food. He's scared. And the Lord says, there he is. There's my mighty warrior. Because he needed him to see. He needed him to see himself the way the Lord saw him. The second thing is this. And this is not as, not as thrilling, not as happy as that first point, but the second one is this. Judges 6.13. After he's called a mighty man of valor, Gideon says, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, and I know this is the kind of question you've asked before. Maybe you've been asking it today, but maybe you've asked it in the years past, days past of your life. If the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Why is this happening? Why am I going through this? Well, here's the second point from the story of Gideon and the God of peace. Suffering is part of life on this side of eternity. And we have to recognize and understand, rightfully, righteously understand that that's the truth. Suffering's part of, of life this side of eternity. And so to, to look at the Lord and say, well, look, well, where are you? Where are all the miracles? That's, that's what he asked next. If you're really with us, then why is all this, why are we in this condition scared of the Midianites? And he says, and in fact, you know all these wonderful deeds I've heard my whole life growing up? I heard about how you brought us out of Egypt with a mighty right hand. I heard about how they, the, my forefathers came across the Red Sea on the dry land and then you swallowed up the Egyptians. Where are those kind of miracles for us? How come you're not doing that for us? If you're really God, if you really love us, Gideon said, you'll work miracles to save us and change our situation. Now, God's response in so many words is, first of all, he says, just wait, <laughs> just wait. But really what the Lord says here, by implication, what he's saying is, that's not true, Gideon. I'm your heavenly father in suffering or in joy. I'm your heavenly father with miracles or without. Whether you're delivered from this this night or not, I'm your father. Now, I choose to here in just a moment, I'm going to do something miraculous that brings great glory to my name. All the people from generations from now on will be talking about it. But I'm the father no matter what that's true or not. 
It reminds me of some things that Jesus said. John 16, verse 33, Jesus said, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus is indicating there's going to be times where you're in the cave, where you're running from others, hiding. He said, but even there, you can take heart. Even there, you can be encouraged. Even there, you can lift up your head. Because I've overcome the world. I want you to go over to John chapter 11 for a moment and take note of this. John 11, the account there, the record of Lazarus being raised from the dead. We remember certain things about Lazarus and his family. Lazarus, Mary, Martha. The Bible says expressly, crystal clear, Jesus loves this family. He loves Lazarus and Mary and Martha in a, in a very special, unique, wonderful kind of way. He loves them. So it's strange when we see in John 11, 6, John 11, 6, it's really strange that when message from the sisters come to Jesus, Lazarus, our brother, this one you love so dearly, he is sick. You would expect that Jesus says, okay, he drops everything and, and takes off to get there. No, he says he heard that he was ill, and so he sat around for two days. Just waited two more days, doing nothing, as it were. Now, that seems strange. And the sisters thought it was strange, because you notice in John eleven twenty one, 21, and then again in John eleven thirty two, 32, Martha approaches Jesus in verse 21. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Verse 32, Mary says the same thing. Lord, if you'd just been here, if you'd have hurried up, if you'd gotten here in time, my brother would still be alive. So it's just like Gideon. Where's the miracle? Why didn't you do anything about it? Why are you letting us suffer this way? The sisters come to Jesus. Why are you letting us, our hearts break this way? Why didn't you fix it? Why didn't you get here quicker? Why didn't you do something? And so we kind of have to ask ourselves, what is it that we do? We see Gideon's reaction. We see Mary and Martha's reaction. What is it that we do when Jesus doesn't come? Maybe I should say it this way to make sure I'm heard clearly when he doesn't come in the way we would expect or at the timing that we would expect. Because see, Mary and Martha said to Jesus, if you had just come, everything would have been okay. Why didn't you show up? How many times have we said that? Lord, where are you? Why haven't you shown up? Why didn't you come when I thought you should have? Why? Why? I want you to see the response that Jesus gives there in John 11. When he starts asking Martha about the resurrection, do you believe? One of the things that he's telling her is this. Your greatest need is not to have your brother back. Your greatest need is to have me. He says in verse 41, remember he, verse 35 is a beautiful passage, he wept. He knows he's bringing Lazarus back, but he's, he's in the, the middle of all these things, the emotions of all the people that, are, uh, that love him, that he loves, and they're weeping, and their hearts are broken, and he weeps with them. But in John eleven forty one, 41, he says, Father, I'm thankful that you hear me. And he goes on to say, now look, I'm not saying this, Father, because I need to say it out loud for you to hear me. I know you always hear me. 
He says, I'm saying it this way, the way I am right now, so that all these people can hear. And so that when I call Lazarus out and they see what happens, they're going to know it's because of you and it's to your glory. And so he says, Lazarus, come forth. And there he comes out of that tomb. You and I need to know. You see, Jesus was saying, this crowd needs to know that you hear me, Lord. This crowd needs to know that you hear us, Lord. And so right here, right now, we need to know that he walks with us in our pain. He weeps with us when he hurt. And the resurrection day is coming. And so Jesus is saying in John 11, and the Lord is saying to Gideon in Judges 6, trust me. I'm all you need. Because all too often we think that peace is going to come if we can just change our location. If I can just move to a new place or get a new job, then finally I'll be at peace. But peace is not found in physical locations like that. Our peace is found in our relationship with the Lord. And so he says back in Judges 6, where are, where are all the miracles? Where are all these grand signs? Where are you? And the Lord says, I've been there. I'm calling for your faithfulness. I've been there. I'm calling for your trust. To Jesus, they said, where were you? He says, I've been there. I'm calling for your trust. Do you believe me? Do you trust me to be the one who raises from the dead? Two more things. Back in Judges chapter 6, I want you to note this in Judges 6. About verse 22, Gideon perceives that he's speaking to an angel. Says He perceives he's speaking to the angel of the Lord. And Gideon says, alas, Lord God, I've seen the, the angel of the Lord face to face. Verse 23, but the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. God offers peace in every place, even in the cave. When we're hiding, even then, God offers peace. When we feel weak, even then, God offers peace. When no one's looking to God for direction, we feel like we're the last ones that are seeking to be faithful. Remember, the time of the judges is this. Judges 17, verse 6. Judges 21, verse 25. Two times there it says that everybody does what's right in his own eyes. There's no, there's no king. There's no ruler. Everybody just does what he wants. Nobody's looking to God. And so when no one else is looking for God for direction, we know there's, there's no peace for the wicked. But God offers us help. All that we need, he offers us all that we need to be what we might call spiritually successful. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, you know, he made that, Jesus made that comparison. Earthly fathers know how to give their children good gifts. So surely you understand your heavenly father knows how to give you what you need. He can offer you everything that you need to be competent, content, faithful. He offers you everything you need. God offers peace even when you're in the cave. And then the final thing is this. There in Judges 6.24, Gideon builds an altar there to the Lord. He calls it, the Lord is peace. The Lord who is peace, in this passage and so many others, points us forward to the Prince of Peace, Jesus the Christ. We know in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that it says, a child is born unto us. He's the, the wonderful counselor, the, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's the one that's coming. And then we see in Luke chapter 2, in Luke 2, verse 14, 
that the coming of Jesus brought about the very possibility of us having peace. The hosts of heaven say this, glory to God in the highest and on earth there's peace among those with whom he's pleased. And then there's this that Jesus said in John 14, 27. John 14, 27. Jesus said, peace I live with you, leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus offers something that the most brilliant, the richest, the most powerful, Jesus offers something that no one in the world can offer. Genuine, abiding, lasting peace that doesn't connect to and is not reliant upon circumstances in life. Because when we know that we're washed, and when we know that we're cleansed, and when we know that if this were the, the night we drew the last breath that we've ever drawn on this earth, we know that we find ourselves carried by the angels into the presence of the Lord, into a place of peace and rest. Because what we know is true is that Jesus made peace by the blood of the cross, Colossians 1.20. We know according to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that we've been justified with, by, by faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we've been washed in his blood and we know that we're cleansed and part of the kingdom, we can be at peace knowing that he sees and intercedes. Gideon had to learn that lesson, had to go through a number of things, trials, prove it, Lord, make this fleece dry, make this fleece wet, help me, Lord, prove it, Lord. Where are the miracles, Lord? And God was patient with him. And did those things and showed him those things and give him great, great victory. The Lord said, you don't need the miracle. You don't need uh, the fleece to be dry one day and wet the next. You need to trust me. You need to believe me. You need to know that right now, this day, I'm offering you peace that you cannot get from any other kind of place. The kind of contentment and satisfaction that only comes from knowing God and knowing God walks with you. I close with this verse from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Thessalonians 3, 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. The Lord of peace is calling for you to submit your life to him. He's calling for you to turn over all of the things that are causing turmoil and chaos and angst and pain. And he's saying, I am your peace. If there's any kind of way that we can encourage you or help you, help you come to know and live and, and follow the Lord of peace, make your needs known while together we stand and sing.